Big Fluff. You are listening to Hobo Radio and stay mischievous. And now, your host, miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And today, I am very excited to bring to you my interview with Danny Fernandez. Danny is a writer, an actor, a comedian, a host, and and just an all-around cool and amazing person who I've been following on social media for a long time. I've been a fan of Danny for a long time. I was very excited to get a chance to sit down and talk to her, and I think we had a really great chat. I, this covers a lot of territory, talk a lot about the entertainment industry, about her career, and uh, most specifically, and the reason that we set up the interview is we talk about her Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy story in DC Comics Pride Anthology, which came out last month. Uh, I highly recommend checking that out. And just, I recommend familiarizing yourself with Danny and her work. Because trust me, by the end of this conversation, you are going to be as big a fan of hers as I am. Uh, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Danny Fernandez. When did you start to feel like a writer? Did, was there a point that because you have a lot of stuff like you work on a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that hasn't come out? Like, was there a point that you it, like it clicked in your brain? I am a professional writer or did that happen? Well, those two things I think are separate. When I thought I was a writer, I've been writing since I was little. Like I, and I'm talking about like little, like I have journals from fifth grade of me writing like the most angstiest poems imaginable. And then I used to write DBZ fan fiction. I would spend hours on fanfiction.net. Um, I think it's still a thing. It's still up there. Um, I think it's like been overtaken with Harry Potter fan fiction and stuff, but it used to have a lot of anime on there. And so, so I've always been writing and, uh, I wrote a lot in college as well. I remember I was an English minor. I was trying to get into the journalism school at UT and I was pre pre journalism, but I was also an English minor. And, uh, I remember one of my English professors kept my essay as like an example of like an A plus essay. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, I was like, so I was very type A. Um, so I've always considered myself a writer, but a professional writer, I guess would be like when you start getting paid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I started to do punch up rooms and stuff. And I, I actually, I worked at listicle sites. Oh yeah. So it was like a huge thing 
in the aughts, I get, or not aughts, but like in the 2010, I think I joined like a listicle site in like 2014, 2013, 2014. They still have them, but they're not as popular anymore. But that was like, you know, 2015 it was like a massive boom of like BuzzFeed and all of those. And so my friends and I in comedy, cause we all needed to make money. We would all work in this office that was run by like crypto bros. <laughs> and that were, <laughs> we were all like, some people were legit professional writers who just were in the off season, like in between rooms. And so we were writing like 26 bridesmaid fails or, you know, like I just, <laughs> cake fails that'll make you giggle or something. I just, well, the way you described it, I'm literally picturing a crypto bro. Like, hey, where's that bride's fail like article? Get it on my desk. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So this was a warehouse. Not So a warehouse, they bought a bunch of desks. They put a bunch of us nerdy comedy writers all in there. So we would make fun of our bosses a lot. <laughs> and then our bosses were like, I don't know. They started to realize like, oh, maybe we need to give them insurance and maybe we need to, you know. And so we had a kitchen and they put out a little they put out a little survey was like, what would you like uh, stacked in the kitchen? Um, and we were like, fresh fruit would be great. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe LaCroix, which I feel like is in every writer's. And I remember they came back with Red Bull and Flaming Hot Cheetos. And we were like... Okay, that's where this is the place we work at. So we we, you know, a lot of those writers have gone on to write for like Cartoon Network and NBC and like it's really funny that we were all talented at the time. We just really needed money, so we were just making a lot of listicles. It's funny too the I feel like the listicle websites went away, but I see that it continues spiritually on YouTube with I get sucked into them too. There's like Watch Mojo 10 such oh, and uh -huh. such like they just became videos they just morphed into their next form there will always be lists of some kind to exist i feel mojo i want to give them much more credit than what we were doing yeah because they actually like tackle you know like top 10 like harley quinn moments or something we're like looking at um i don't know like southern wedding fails <laughs> or something you know and it's like people falling over a hay bale or yeah, so they're definitely doing a, li a little more than what we're do we were doing. Well, I'm curious too. Something else that you mentioned uh, was that you did fanfic, and I feel like that's always such an interesting thing with writers because it's often looked down upon. But then mm. when you think about literally the reason that I'm talking to you is because you wrote a story with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Which what's going to prepare you better for that than fanfic to like learn how yeah. to write something that is this and especially now these days everything is franchises everything is continuing like it feels like really good prep for that kind of work but it's never like viewed as that no but i do think um wasn't 50 shades of gray twilight fan yeah i think that's the thing and then they just changed the details to publish yeah. it but yeah i think it came from one of those sites that it just was published yeah, I would say it's a great um, it did help me with the last the last Netflix show I wrote on. I had like four sex scenes in my episode alone. It was very, very spicy, which they're they're known for. And um, the amount of smut like fan fiction that I had read and written prepared me so much <laughs> to write those sex scenes um and make them and you know make them not feel vanilla and and um 
So I do think that was, I was like, oh yes, all of my, we called them lemons back in the fanfic world. That's what they're called is lemons. And so, um, wait, what are, I got to use what are lemons? A spy erotic oh, fan okay. fiction. Okay. I don't know the term. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, that was my, <laughs> that was my like end of middle school, beginning of high school years, um, that I was just like re reading all of that. And so it definitely prepared me to, to write those scenes. Um, but I do, I do, the format is so wildly different. So that is the one thing. Fan fiction feels more like novel writing and script writing is an exact um, format. And you really have to get that down to seem professional. And so a lot of my friends that are in comedy, I came up through comedy, their scripts don't always translate. They, they just don't feel how a professional script should feel. So I always recommend people to like actually get books, you know, or have script writing software that really helps them. Cause then, then it actually is like a shooting script, something you could give to a studio. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you, you progress as a writer uh, for sure. But I just think it's like, it, it's a thing that a lot of people do that at least gets you to start thinking about who these characters are mm -hmm. and how they talk and stuff like that. So I just always think it's interesting, but yeah, then you like, yeah, when you're trying to get into the industry, a lot of it is spec scripts, like exactly what you're talking about, where yeah. then it is that precise, write a thing that looks exactly like an episode of this show. So, yeah, it's, yeah, you always got to evolve. And <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't recommend people submit their their fanfic, their lemons. People do. <laughs> people do wild stuff. You would be surprised. People definitely do. So... Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm curious. So we, we talked a little bit about, about the writing and you mentioned uh, that you also came up through comedy. And I know hosting is also something that you've done a lot of. But yeah. So how did the how did it all come together? Was there a plan? Was there just uh, like coming out to L.A. and, and seeing what clicked or, or what was your vision for your career when you were starting out? Yeah, honestly, my only real goal was to be a television writer. Um, and that's one of the hardest things to break. Once you break in, you're in. Um, but it's one of the hardest things is to get staffed, like getting that first staffing job almost feels like a miracle, uh, for some of us. And so, um, I moved here thinking like, well, I'll be a writer's assistant. I'm okay. Like getting coffee and whatever, not knowing that literally everybody wants that right. job. Exactly. <laughs> everybody wants that job. Plus there's only one, mm -hmm. like you might have 10 writers in a room, but there's only one writer's assistant. And so. Um, I ended up getting a job at the Ice House Comedy Club as a hostess. I, I was working the, the front door, uh, like checking people in and wrist wrapping them and seating them. And so I got to know a lot of comedy people and I started to do stand up. Um, and so I did that for the first couple of years I was out here. And that's how I fell into hosting. There's a lot of great stand up people who host. Um, one of them, one of my best friends, Mark Ellis, he's a host for Rotten Tomatoes. He's also a stand up comic. And like, there's something with being able to be on a red carpet, making your subject laugh, transitioning really quickly, you know, like reading body cues and, and, um, yeah, I think there's, I think there's like, uh, I guess some people go to like classes to learn how to host. I didn't do that at all. I think, I think having doing stand up had, uh, Ify, my friend Ify Wadiway, he's also a comic who is a great host. Um, and I could probably name like a ton of people, but having that background makes you just really pop on screen, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so, and you just make your subject more 
comfortable. Like if you, if you can do comedy in front of like a hundred people in a room, you can carry an interview with like Taika Waititi, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is just figuring out how to set those people up for success. Like what's your, your space. It's such a, a, a difficult thing though, too. And yeah, it's a, someone like when you talk about the red carpet, like I know Ryan Seacrest is someone that doesn't like people don't, you know, they have feelings about him, but I'm like that skill of every single person that comes up, the ability to, in your brain, you have a few seconds, you got to figure out who the person is, what you're going to ask them about. You got to like, remember the last time you talked to them, like I watch him and it's like a machine of just that ability to like, all right, who is it? You don't know who's coming. And so it is like that skill is a very specific, very, you know, I guess just like rep skill versus then I would, the panels are a little bit easier where it's, you have longer time and you know who you're going to talk to and all that. But yeah, it's Mm -hmm. hosting is not easy. I think. Hostings. Yeah. What I was going to say is having um, it's a yes and right. It's like the improv. You have to be able to think on your feet in that second, whatever they give you, you have to yes and it, you know, and kind of throw it back to them so that you can have a great conversation. I remember I was hosting the Aladdin premiere with Disney and I had an earpiece um, and they would tell me whoever was coming up next. So like if I was talking to Will Smith, And I was asking him, I remember the question, I had like a list of questions. And of course you're on the fly. So you're trying to remember all the questions you made for each specific person, but he had performed like three of the songs. And I remember I was asking him what his favorite song was. And as he was very intently telling me, they're in my ear saying like, Mina Masood is coming up, Danny Mina Masood. (laughs) And so I'm trying to pay attention to him and I'm like, oh my God. And I want to be like, I got it. It's like blink twice for yes. But... And then they were like, oh, wait, he's not coming up uh, instead. And it would be like somebody else. But th- that's the whole thing that people don't see is you're having someone talk to you in your ear. But it's not even about right. it's not even about who's in front of you. Like we're moving on to the next person. And so, you know, the biggest thing as an interviewer that you're taught is pay attention to what they're saying, because you're constantly in your head. Like, what's my next question? Because you don't want to get trapped you don't want like dead dead air is the worst thing for radio hosting whatever and so that was my thing is like all right how am i how am i going to transition out of this think will bring in mina come up what is my question for him and so that's all happening in real time as like thousands of people are watching you (laughs) yeah and it's it's funny because the improv thing is the perfect thing for reacting to someone in yes and but then the other thing if you do improv is it's to be present in the moment, which you're not allowed to do yes. if someone's talking to you about what's going to happen right. in five minutes. So, yeah, it's sort of like they're contradicting each other, the two, you know, the present moment yeah. and the future moment. Uh, all right. So, so yeah, you're doing the hosting. You're uh, uh, like that. That kind of took off on its own then, too. Right. That then you got a lot of hosting work like that sort of, Mm -hmm. uh, but you're still at that point, you're focused. You want to be writing. It's all in your mind. It's you're headed towards a writer's room. That's still, so even the hosting is just getting seen by people, like getting in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did end up, it was nice having my nerd fan fiction anime background because I ended up being a guest for a lot of like also that happened with that listicle boom was a YouTube boom. So you had a lot of places like Nerdist, IGN, um, Machinima, (laughs) RIP Machinima. Um, You know, you had a lot of these nerdy places that needed guests and had hosts and had like after shows and, and whatnot. And so I would pop up as a guest, but then 
because they liked me so much, I would then end up hosting for a lot of these places. Um, but yeah, I still, it still bugged me that I hadn't been staffed and I had a really great sample. It's one that I ended up selling. So I know it was really great. And it really bothered me that, and a lot of these places, they want you to have experience to get experience. So they would be like, you know, we're looking for staff writer with you know, one to two years of room experience. And I'm like that. I personally also, I still believe this. That's not a staff writer. You should be promoted after that. Your first year as a staff writer. It's kind of like people saying like, we want an intern with two to three years of experience. And you're like, no, no intern should have two to three. That's your first year. You're the intern. And then after that, hopefully your bosses care enough about you that they're willing to promote you or at least recommend you to other shows. So like, All of the younger writers that I mentor right now, they know how I feel about people keeping support staff for multiple years on end. I'm so anti that. Um, And so that was really frustrating. I would hear like, you know, we love this sample. It's so original, but we need someone with like two to three years. (laughs) I'm like, you know, at that point, I'm a story editor. At that point, I'm in it, you know, at that, like you should not be just coming in at a beginner level. And so... Anyways, um, I finally broke through. It kind of all happened at once. I ended up selling that pilot. It was an original idea that I wrote um, as a sample. So you don't always have to have a spec. It's really divisive right now. (laughs) People have really mixed like, yes, you should have a one day at a time spec or you should have a, you know, whatever. And, And I'm in the camp of like, original pilots are great because if you're like me, you can sell it. If you're like Issa, if you're like Rami, if you're like Quinta, then you can take your original pilot idea. And if it's good enough, sell it. I guess that's kind of taboo to, to say, but I want to say as a performer, um, you, so many of us are forced to write our own stories, you know? Um, so, cause a lot of people are like, you should have, you know, 10 years of experience before you sell a show. And I guess maybe that's true if you're just trying to be a writer. But for me, I was also performing at this time and um, wanting to be seen and acting. And I've worked at so many acting studios here. And so um, that's all to say, sometimes you literally have to create your own show from scratch to get people to pay attention to you. And it's actually unfortunate, something I've been low-key bitter about um, that I think people don't always understand. So I forgot what your question was, but that (laughs) (laughs) it's also interesting because I I feel like the, as the business has evolved, the spec thing changed because there, there was a time like when cheers was on or something like that, where if you Mm -hmm. wrote a spec script, they might buy it and they might make it. But now a spec script is just, it's not like you said, I mean, if you make an original thing, you might be able to sell it. If you write a spec script, it's never going to be anything except something that might get read. Like, no one's going to make that episode of a spec script. Well, I don't know. Like, if you, let's say, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I know some people, I'm sure, got staffed off a Brooklyn Nine-Nine spec script. And so, once you're in the room, maybe then you can pitch your ideas in there and that'll become something. I'm not, I mean, look, if you have time to do all the things, if you have time to have, like, a half hour, an hour-long drama, this, you know, a single cam and a multi-cam, then you're really setting yourself up for success. Um for me, I just realized once I started working here more and more, and like you said, I was doing more on camera work, I just got really hungry to be more visible and seen. And I think there's a lot of um, 
power that comes with visibility. So as I was growing my following, I started to have more power and leverage. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's no secret. I feel like a lot of us, um, especially different like creators of color, I think a lot of us feel like, oh, it's the same. And I know this from being in rooms, the same three names from each demo gets said. Those are the people that book work. And a lot of places aren't willing to take risk on, I don't even want to say new talent because a lot of us aren't new. We've been here for like a decade, but we're just not A-list talent or we're not even B-list talent. And so uh, that's what I mean about having to create our own shows. It's a blessing and a curse. You know, it almost feels unfortunate that it takes someone like literally building a show from the ground up to be seen. Um, but something that Issa, Issa Ray, she's one of my people that I, biggest inspirations is she was talking about how they tried to cast someone else as her in her own show. And I'm like, of course they did because she wasn't a name. And so for a lot of us, we're, we're having to, you know, make our own stories, make our own shows to be seen. Um, which is funny too, cause you can't imagine that show with anyone except her. in the lead role yeah. like now but it but i know what you mean it's that because it happened like they don't they can't visualize it until it happens you know mm-hmm. they don't want to take the chance it's a very sylvester stallone like you know i'm not you i'm not giving this to you unless i can be in it so i guess that's where i i was coming from and luckily i had roy wood jr he was one of my mentors he signed on to ep it we now have the same manager um, my manager, Norm Alajam, he had also signed on way before he knew me. He really believed in me. Um, and so that's how I sold that. But there's no one singular way to break into this business, right. clearly. And where, like, what's the status of that show now? Like, where is it at? My, the, it didn't survive the pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was in a, a lot of shows got scrapped uh and it was one of them and that was really hard and i kind of just i was actually developing a whole other show that had an ensemble of women that i was going to be in as well and that didn't go through and so it's been uh and that was at sony so it's not like i'm playing with little indie (laughs) (laughs) studios and even then i mean i'm very I'm grateful for where I am and I'm grateful that these studios believe in me so much, but it just didn't, um, yeah, it just didn't survive once several projects, you know, so many places lost so much money having to put stuff on pause and mine just didn't survive, unfortunately, but which it, still kicking, <laughs> which again, to, to your point, like, so this is a show that you is very personal to you that you put yourself into yeah. that you wrote for yourself. And then it's all of that work to get it to someone who's in a position to say mm-hmm. yes. And then it like this, this business is brutal. <laughs> like it really, there, yeah. It can fall apart at literally any yeah. moment, like any step. Cause I was in a writer's room um, where we, we finished the writer's room. So after six months we had, I think eight writers, two showrunners. Um, we turned in 10 episodes and the show got dropped. So it did not go to production. And that's not uncommon. That does happen. And so that's crazy. That's the business that we're in. And so I think Brett Goldstein, you know, he's at Ted Lasso and 
doing a billion other things now. He just had an article that said, like, I'm a 20 year overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's also a writer. He started in the writer's room at Ted Lasso, which he had made other things before that I want to say. Um, he's been hustling, but he's also an inspiration to me as someone who was in the writer's room and said, but I'm also an actor and I really want to be seen. And he auditioned and was perfect for the part of Roy. And then it's changed his life. Yeah. So which is funny too with him. Cause like the, I, I listen to his podcast and I'm a fan of him as well. Like it's, I can see why people didn't see it with him just in terms of when you get to know like his personality a little bit, it doesn't instantly match to Roy Kent. But then when you see Roy Kent, you can't imagine anyone except anyone yeah, playing it. Yeah. So, but again, it's to get someone else to see what you see in yourself, which is really hard. Mm-hmm. And also like him just being, well, a nice thing about that cast is I think Jason's the only one who is an A-list celebrity. Everybody else is someone that this has been their big break. I know Cristo uh, Fernandez, This that was his big break, you know, Danny Rojas. And so that's what I'm talking about, though, is allowing other people to break through and Hopefully not all of us have to <laughs> create, you know, um, an entire world from scratch, although I'm capable of doing that and I am doing that. But sometimes I'm I just want to be able to perform yeah. like sometimes I just want to learn my lines and show up and like dive into this character and not have to worry about the whole fabric of the entire show, um, which I've had to do a couple times. Now. <laughs> so. Kind of both, you know, I, Taika, Taika does that. Taika, some of the stuff that he's in, he just gets to, you know, he's his friends cast him in it. Other things, he's literally the director and creator. And so kind of getting to dance around in those seats and not always having to be in one box, I guess. And I, I love it. He does, He's a great example of what you're talking about, too, of that. He had an overall deal at FX and they were like, is there anything else that you're interested in? And he, he and Sterling Harjo came up with reservation dogs. And then that's how that exists mm -hmm. is because, you know, Taika Waititi kind of, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's my I think Rami's doing that right now. Um, he He's an EP on like several shows. I'm like, that's where you make yeah. money. <laughs> you're like, I'm going to check in. I'm going to check in with you guys, but maybe I'm not in the writer's room every single day. But like my name is on this. Um, Issa's doing that through her production company. And so as as they should, they're giving people chances. And that's the thing. I know she has um, rap shit coming out her new show on HBO. And it's like you're she's giving She's literally creating stars, new stars, yeah. so that people like her aren't being like they're just going to the same five people that book all the jobs out here is they're allowing new talent to be discovered. That to me is actual real diversity. It's not the same three people from each of our demos. It's like finding 20, 30, 50 people from each of these demos that is wildly different. You know, we're we're so different that. Uh, giving giving the chance to show our range as actors. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I want to ask you too about the the DC Pride comic, obviously. Uh, so I'm curious uh, how that came about, like uh, how that opportunity came about, and and what your approach to it was. Yeah. So I had met with DC a couple years ago. Um, it was actually during the height of the pandemic in 2020. Um, I think it was even before the vaccine was out and we were zooming and I was just telling them the women that I wanted to write, particularly the queer women and um, Harley and Ivy were my top two. I also wonder woman uh, was up there as well. And 
And then that was it. We, <laughs> we kind of talked and I was like, this is what I want to do. And then I went back to writing TV. I was working on a Warner Brothers show at the time. And um, then I got an email several months ago. My manager got an email from Jessica Chen, who was my editor. Uh, and she said, in the email, it said offer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that they they wanted to work with me. They were familiar with my work. And um that was great. It was very validating to me. It just felt like I've written on so many different projects. I'd also been involved in the DC family. I had hosted a few things with Kevin Smith over at the CW and, um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other DC things that I was involved in. And, uh, I've been on Wonder Woman panels at Comic Con and it just, you know, aside from writing on three Warner Brothers shows, it just felt like it came full circle. And so, I had to pitch them a um, a story. So I, I came up with them being on a date. That was exciting to me. I wanted to see what a date would look like with them. And of course, it's not going to be normal. And I also wanted to tap into their deepest, darkest fears. So I wanted it to be sexy. I wanted it to be playful. I remember asking Jessica, like, what can I get away with? And she was like, let's, let's see what you can get away with. Because I, I definitely wanted it to be a sexy queer story. Um, but then I also wanted to have this kind of um, dark element to it since they're, they both have so much trauma. So I just wanted to look in, just tap into that and how that affects their love. So that's kind of how that story came to be. Yeah. And that struck me reading it too, that it is essentially like thematically, it is sort of love versus fear and hate that yes. uh, there's, I don't want to give too much away if people haven't read it, but it, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. But essentially, yeah, they are on this date and uh, there's, you know, it, it ultimately like them, their love for each other is kind of what carries them through uh, what's happening to them, which is, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's a very like I really liked the story. I, I thought it was really great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I have um on my door when I leave every day. I have a a little mantra. It says choose love, and the actual thing is choose love over fear. And I think with them, I have to tell myself that constantly. Um, like I have it as my wallpaper on my iPhone. But um, with them specifically, there's so many reasons for them not to trust each other and to not trust love their love <laughs> their experience of love has not been trustworthy um and has not even been love i want to say actually their experiences of love in their previous life you know before they got together i would not consider that love um and so how can you trust it's such a vulnerable thing that they're doing by kind of laying down their swords and and being together and and choosing each other and how can you trust someone, especially in those initial stages when you're dating. So that's kind of what the story I wanted to tackle, because that's something that I deal with <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being a single woman out here. So that 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 I found really fascinating. Yeah, I, I find that interesting, too, that you mentioned that about the previous relationships, too, because I find that with Harley Quinn that, you know, and it, I mean, I understand why it happens, but it, it's often that she's so associated with the Joker and people are very interested in stories with her and the Joker when I was a huge Batman the Animated Series fan, and you could even see in that show, after like a few episodes, I think they realized that they needed to move mm -hmm. on. And Harley and Ivy happens very early in the run of that show where mm -hmm. they like they kind of got away from it. But I always feel like that's, uh, yeah, people, you know, and even some of the movies and such like really focus on the 
uh, the Harley and Joker stuff when there is so much more to explore, which I think is why stuff like this is nice to see. And you're seeing more of it, I feel like. Yeah, the animated um, Harley Quinn, the animated show on HBO Max definitely uh, helped me and inspired me with this story. And I love what they're doing with their relationship. And I agree. I think (laughs) Harley and Joker is a very abusive, um, you know, I think we're moving away from that. I think people are realizing that. And yeah, those are, that's all I can say (laughs) on on it. Uh, But no, the, yeah, the animated show is great. I also, Birds of Prey to me is criminally underrated as a movie. Like I I really enjoyed that as well. But yeah, it's, it's so it's all that to say it's nice to see more of uh, of this. Mm-hmm. I also am curious, what is it like, uh, you know, speaking of Harley Quinn, you're in a comic with Kevin Conroy, which is yeah. that's got to be. Yeah, we were. It was crazy. We were on a panel together um, a couple of years ago for the crisis aftermath that they did the big crossover they did on the CW. So he was sitting right next to me. I didn't realize that we would end up in a comic together. Um, but. He, you know, is such an iconic part of all of our childhoods, I feel like, um, and his story is so special. And so I'm really honored that I got to be in this comic with him and that he feels so much love from the community, I think is another thing that's really important to me that he feels supported and loved. And um, I think it's a big deal to have a queer Batman. Yeah, no, 100%. And I that struck me too, like reading his story in the comic of again yeah as you said like he means so much to all of our childhoods and then you realize that it was these experiences kind of exactly what you were saying of like choosing love that essentially mm-hmm. it you know he played batman by you know after overcoming all of this and sort of trying to so it's it's just interesting to think like this thing that meant so much to me is in my childhood that really and meant so much to all of us like came from this place and for him to tell that story and I feel like, you know, in a way, that's kind of what you're doing now, too. And that's, I think it's such a powerful thing to to be able to tell these stories that, you know, you don't know who you're reaching and, and what you're able to channel yeah. into and how inspiring it can all be. And I just think that's a really beautiful thing. It is nice to to feel this community and connect with other people like that is anytime someone writes me that I like affected them. It honestly is very healing for me. Because I think people forget as the creator, we're often creating in like a little cave, (laughs) you know? And so it's healing for us as people to hear that we're not the only ones experiencing this. And so that, that has been, as I share my, I'm like super open about my mental health journey. There's so many other people who have shared with me and just as a human being, take the creator part out, but like just as a human being, that is really helpful and healing for me. Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 hard too because yeah, and Kevin Conroy again, like being a kid, where it's like it, it's almost like a teacher outside of school. Like I never contemplated that he was just Batman. He is Batman in my mm-hmm. head, and so I never thought about the person who was playing it, you know. And so that it's like how how inspiring he is, and yeah, all of that. So it is yeah, it's such a cool thing. Is this uh is this something you want to do more of of writing comics or? I think so. Yeah, I definitely. I'm sure DC and I will do some more stuff together. Um, It is hard, though, because I'm so used to a a TV and feature like medium. Um, I'm glad that I've done it, but um, 
And like, yeah, I think I'll probably do more, but I also crave to see things on screen. (laughs) (laughs) So it'll be hard to pull me away from that entirely. (laughs) Yeah. What was it like uh, doing a comic script, like trying to get used to that format? Yeah, they actually gave me one of Jeff John's. uh, I now have that like (laughs) his actual like script to go over for Justice League. And so I was like reading how he formatted it, not entirely different than um, than television scripts. But um, yeah, just making sure it's very collaborative. It's super in that like I would turn in my script and then I would get Zoe Thurgood as the one who did the art. And so seeing how she interpreted what I said and then made the artwork of it and specifically like their facial reactions, right? Like that's a big, their body language. Um, so that was great to see that kind of come to life. Um, cause I really didn't know how it was going to turn out. You know, when you turn in your script, you have it like in your head and then the artist takes it to a whole other place that they have in their head when, you know, you give it to them. So that was, and then we had, you know, um, so many other elements too, with like coloring, we had like bisexual lighting, which I thought was really cool. And, um, yeah, there's, and Jessica, the, uh, our editor was also, you know, um, weighing in and, and helping it just be like the best version that it could be. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about the bisexual lighting? Cause I do love the way that it's colored. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had to be really, not to give anything away, but we had to get this down right <laughs> or else it would be really confusing. Um, and so, cause there's, there's, you know, kind of a bit of a sneaky sneak that happens in the comic. And so I had proposed that and we were trying to see visually how we could make that happen in a way that wasn't too confusing. And another thing you have to remember is this is a short story. So it's all happening in eight pages, which was also a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I like I even asked for more. I think I had six and I and I asked for more pages because I just felt like, oh, it's happening too quickly. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't want it to be like, oh, this happens. And then the end. And, you know, um, so that was uh, that. Yeah, it was a it was a feat in itself to just be able to execute that. My hat goes off to short stories because it's almost feels harder to start something you got to you know your the audience is hopping right there and with you you got to hit the ground running you got to get to the you know the um crux of what's going on climax and get out of there yeah so yeah there's no wasted space in that like every panel has to move the story along and convey what's happening i would also recommend to people read your story twice because i i really liked it the first time and mm-hmm. i was able to follow it, but then it's like again i know we're talking around this but going back and reading it uh, the second time you really appreciate it even more, like what's happening in it. Yeah, there's a lot of um, I think there was a review. I need to look up who did it, but there was a review that I had shared because they like actually analyzed everything that happened. And there's actually a lot happening in there that I feel even on the first one or two takes, you might not understand the symbolism of some of some of the things. And they actually like cracked the whole code of the short story. So I was really happy. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm no. happy somebody got it. <laughs> now I'm curious what I missed. Like I gotta <laughs> I can send it to you. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to find it after this. I don't have my phone on me or I would look up uh who did oh, you know what? Let me um I just want to make sure I'm crediting them. Sorry for this uh oh, you're good. current dead <laughs> air right now, but um 
Oh, is it AIPT Comics? Yeah. AIPT Comics. Okay. All right. AIPT. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry if you have to like cut all that out. But anyways, yeah, they had a great analysis. So when you read it, you'll be like, oh, yes, that happened. (laughs) Now I see. And was that what were the like, were there a lot of conversations about like with, uh, you know, you guys collaborating to get all of the like little details in or like how? Kind of, but everybody was kind of just in charge of their own thing. So like I was in charge of the script and, uh, you know, and then immediately um, we had to get it. I mean, I don't even know how long it took Zoe to do it, but we were we were in a crunch, (laughs) uh, you know, because it was like pride is right around the corner. Um, And so, yeah, we kind of just like, uh, you know, it would go from one thing to it would go from me to art to coloring to lettering. Um, you know, in each step of the way, Jessica was like, you know, checking in and we all, we all could see what was going on, but, and, you know, I might've had little notes here and there, but, um, I kind of just wanted everyone to be able to do their thing. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, that's obviously yeah, a great collaborative spirit to have to not draw exactly what I say. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I I had a random question for you that I wanted to ask, uh, which is just uh, because you exist in a Disney film, like you you are in a Disney mm-hmm. universe, and so I was curious uh, if you could be in any cinematic universe. Like, what would you want to be a part of as yourself? Oh, myself. Um. Wow, that's a good question. Danny Fernandez, definitely. Yeah, in the Disney world where else would i oh scooby-doo i don't know that sounds like the right answer are you are you running the theme park and like pretending to be a ghost or what are you doing in scooby-doo i think like didn't they run into like celebrities or people sometimes or did i make that that might be right so you're like casey Kasem, or no he voiced one of them but you're one of the the harlem globetrotters that's what you are yeah yeah exactly i'm one of the like oh danny fernandez i know it would be funny if they like unmasked me you know it was danny fernandez all along um no i think i'd want to be like maybe i'm the one that has the haunted house and they're and i'm like you know i keep hearing these noises kids (laughs) And I would bring out like juice boxes or something. I don't know. Um, although the kids in quotes, I yeah, they're pushing yeah. it. <laughs> There's no way Shaggy is not in his thirties. Um, I, yeah. I also love Scooby Doo. Always has that same thing with like the X Files. That you know, thirty episodes in, they're still like Shaggy and Scooby are still terrified that it's a real ghost this time. Like for sure this mm-hmm. time. Like, uh, so cute. Yeah. I, Best friends forever. <laughs> Just put me in the the mystery, the mystery mobile. I like that. I I like that for you having a haunted house that you're just trying to run and give snacks. I love that. Uh, well, what else is there? Anything else on the horizon that you want to mention that we haven't talked about? Or honestly, not anything that I can talk about. Um, but yeah, uh, just. Just, uh, I'm trying to think of like, what can I say and not get in trouble? I have a few features. I will say that I have a few features that I'm in development, what that I'm excited about. And also just like, um, been auditioning a ton and excited to, you know, I've been writing so much to like also get up and perform and act and be on set and 
just like manifesting more of that play, manifesting more play. Uh, well, I have a, kind of a, I mean, we talked a bit about it throughout the interview, but I, it's more of like a philosophical question for you too, which is just, yeah, I mean, with so much that you're trying to break through and just obviously these days, like it is tough existing as a human in the world, but I always get the sense from your social media and from the things you post, you, you're very open about uh, the things that you've dealt with, but you're also, you strike me as a very optimistic person, I think, at mm -hmm. your core. And I'm just curious, uh, I, how do you do that, I think is the question. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money in therapy. Um, a lot of money in therapy. Um, how do I do that? I think it just took like a radical shift. I think when I was coming up, I, I don't do stand up anymore. Um, and I think when I was coming up, it was definitely an era of like meanness. Like there was a lot of mean. It was like, you know, during the time, I don't think it was the soup, but like around the like Tosh.0, whatever, like that um, time where people were just really mean. And that, that has kind of gone away. And I, I think that's also like um, a protective measure, you know, like people in high school that were mean, it was almost like the, they were. Um, what is the word? It was almost like a front, you know? And so it took like a radical shift out of cynicism. I see a lot of cynicism in comedy and it's just not helpful anymore. It's just not, the world is like burning and having someone be super negative to me, I just don't, I wouldn't be hanging on, I guess, if I, if I were really negative. And so I think I've done enough work now where I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. I can see a light for a lot of other people. I can be a light for a lot of other people that are still back in the, you know, old Danny phase still where they haven't quite made the leap, you know? And um, I think I have to. I think we, ha we have to be hopeful um, or else we're really doomed. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think also being around really good people, Quinta, I have to say, who I, I haven't actually ever met, although we have mutual friends, but she is someone that I see who represents everything good about this business. And I really hold on to that. And I really hope that people, I don't even want to say younger writers, because even if you're an older writer who hasn't broken in yet, really hold on to that. That is someone who is a good person, who has hold on, held on to their morals, who is kind to others, who has created a great community um, and is thriving. So you don't have to be a piece of shit. <laughs> we see some of these directors who are horrible people. And you hear sh sh these stories of showrunners who treat people so cruelly. You do not have to do that. It's insane to me that people act that way. But to see her um, just the kindest person um, have such a great community and pulling up so many people and ha getting so many people jobs too. I want to say when you have a show, you, you hundreds of people have jobs because of, yeah. her, you know? Um, so I hold on to that and I hope other people can hold on to that. You can be a good person and thrive out here and there's more good people coming up. We're kind of pushing the bad people out slowly, but surely. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I think it's a really nice uh, place to end it. And I would definitely recommend people follow you on social media because I find you very inspiring to follow on social media. Thank it's very you. nice. Uh, which if you want to give out your handles as well. Yeah, yeah it's at Ms. Danny Fernandez. It's M-S-D-A-N-I-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. It's a wealth of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a variety show on there. There's never one simple thing on there. It's always like a bunch of different ideas and pictures and things. And I'm a 
range of a person, but um, yeah. yeah, I try to be as hopeful as I can. You also, it seems almost like you're raising an army of people who love your photos that I hope you always use for good. <laughs> it seems like there's some power there. In the, I need yeah. that. I need that. I I accept that validation and I appreciate them for liking my photos and I will continue taking them throughout the decades uh, until I'm in a old lady still taking <laughs> hot photos. I saw, um, who was it? Martha Stewart. Didn't she take one in oh, her pool? I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> oh, she definitely did. And I was like, ma'am, that will be yeah. me. <laughs> I think we're all Googling that as soon as this is done. <laughs> as you yeah. should. As you should. Uh, but yeah, and also you did a, a Poison Ivy photo shoot recently. I saw that too. So that's, I did. Yeah, people should check mm -hmm. that out. I wanted to commemorate. I was going to do Harley in the same shoe. And it. let me tell you, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try her makeup, like changing from Poison Ivy to Harley Quinn. Um, it, was it was more than I had to do in that day. So I wasn't able to do both. But I probably will get to harley too which uh have you picked out which version of harley quinn like what look you're going for not entirely but i did see somebody do fan art of like a design that i hadn't quite seen yet and i was like yeah that's really that's perfect it was like a perfect amount of like punk and sexy and um yeah although her harley quinn because i did a i did the og poison ivy so her an OG Harley might be fun too. That is a good costume and scary. Yeah. No, that yeah, that mm -hmm. like classic. Yeah, but that's a lot of makeup though. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it it was yeah. a lot. My photographer was like, "And we're done <laughs> for the day." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> uh, well, this, this so. has been great. This has been really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing it. I really appreciate. Thanks for it. having yeah, especially me, especially with your back hurting. There you have it, my talk with Danny Fernandez. And what did I tell you? She's delightful. It was a really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to her. Make sure you pick up her DC Pride uh, comic so you can read the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy story. Make sure you're following her on social media. Uh, she also, you know, if you're going to Comic-Con, I know she does panels there, so check all that out. And if this was your first time listening to an interview on Hobo Radio, and if you want to want more interviews, I highly recommend going to hobotrashcan.com, checking out our archives. In this interview, we talked about Kevin Conroy. You can find an interview I did with Kevin Conroy, which was utterly delightful for me. And I know that you will enjoy it if you enjoyed this. If you're looking for another Batman, I also there's an interview with Diedrich Bader. In the archives, I've talked to Paul Dini. You can find that interview on Hobo Trash Can and just a lot of stuff. Just go check it out. You will find something to enjoy on HoboTrashCan.com or you can subscribe to this podcast for more interviews in the future. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, question everything. There's no sleep when the moon comes round. There's no sleep. When the moon comes round I'll make amends with the day When I rest Oh my god It's 6 a.m. Definitely slept through that clock At least by an hour and a half 
Honey, waking up. Who slept through the alarm again? I need you to get up. I'ma take you to kindergarten. It's a quarter past Jesus Christ. I can't believe I'm late. So get up, move on in the work. I'll take your kids once you break. She's my early morning savior. Bar close confessional. The air guitar to my slayer. Don't give me nine to five job. I throw bows nine to close. See me in the evening slanging potion at the Ivan Hole. You got blues, well I can change your color Don't get confused, yellow's right. half of my lover I dedicated a vehicle okay. to a car So when you see that blue cruiser on Junction, you know it's on Fan first, although you might think I'm heartless Lay your finger on my team and I will strike the hardest Until the shoulder to my arm gives If I'm swinging, understand I follow through like the IRS There's no sleep when the moon goes round There's no sleep when the moon goes round Yeah, you look like you need to ride home, homie. Call up DJ. Somebody call DJ. This man arrived. I got racing behind me like I'm headed to Chicago. Swag on tap, yes indeed, it'll cost you. I consult myself cause I am the head honcho. Cool it in, Keith, while you're snapping like a longbow. Cause there's no need to get emotions involved. If I'm making a decision, then I go with the gut. They call me Tin Man just because I might see what's wrong. I call him being the man, no it ends or what? I pay my dues, now I'm paying loans Look at me when I'm talking to you and get a phone Don't talk about it, be calm about it And tell your friends to pay the tab before they bounce about it I'm serious man, I'm a serious man Don't believe me, you can talk to DJ or Kristen Nash Young fatherhood hustling in the morning to the after hours And it don't stop There's no sleep when the moon comes round There's no sleep when the moon comes round Commence with the day when I rest in the grave. Well, until then, hey, hey, all right, okay. I need everybody to brass monkey. Hey, okay. I need everybody at the old school way. Any other bar in racing? I need you to bring it all in together. of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Stephanie Smarr. And this is Stephanie Knows Some Shit, where every week we are going to tap into Stephanie's brain and share with you some of the insight that she has about cooking, shopping, Top Chef, all of the things that you want to know. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories, enjoy some time together, and really dive into the things that you might be afraid to Google. We might have the answer. I actually, I'm pretty confident we do. 